Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend Dick Foth for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks a million, Aaron. My joy. Dick, I got two more questions for you today. Um, Number one, can you share a a moment about a moment you recognized an area of growth or yeah, in somebody close to you in ministry? Yeah, I I was in Washington, D.C., and there was a fellow who had been in missions in Africa for Mm -hmm. nine years. They were unable for medical reasons to return, and um, we were just chatting. Then I think I've shared this story with you before, but the folks listening haven't heard it. But I asked him one day, uh, so if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? Like create a role, which is always a fun question to ask, you know, because that that answer is different at different ages. Sure. And and he said, having had this experience a lot of time spent in villages in the bush in Africa, he said, I would like to spend my life sitting under a cashew tree in some African village, um, uh, talking with the elders of the village about Jesus. Hmm. And at that point, I said to him, you know, we do a lot of that cashew tree stuff here in D.C., which is yeah. one-on-one walking with folks, uh, folks who are listening who might know the organization Young Life, know that they sort of have a mantra, which is um, come alongside and earn the right to be heard. And mm. that was, it wasn't Young Life, but it was one of that, that sort of motif was in sure. play. Long story short, at that point, he stepped into that world, uh, working with people in leadership uh, specifically in the United States Senate, and specifically one person, and when and that's lasted until just now when that person retired for twenty five years, and to see him step into that, yeah, because he he was not a person in his person who, if it were military, would be a battalion commander. Hmm. He's not the person that you want to have lead hundreds. Sure, what you do want him is you want him on the SEAL team. You want him in special ops in that mm. group of six or eight yeah. or whatever it is. And so uh, that would be a point in time that there are others, but that one particularly stands out. Yeah. Good. Good deal. And so, and then the, the follow-up question for that is, and you kind of shared a little bit about that, about encouraging and helping them grow in that area is, can you take, talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, in terms of addressing and encouraging change, yeah. Uh, by personality, again, he was he was reticent. He isn't the person. Of, um, but but he knew. I think he knew that he could walk with ones and twos and have it have an effect. The problem is when you're stepping into the club of a hundred, the United States Senate. Sure, that's a totally different deal. I mean, that's a. Totally. So I just told him the story about the first time I, I sat with a U.S. senator. I've said it on this uh, podcast before, I think, that uh, you know, I'm a kid from East Oakland, California, so I wasn't brought up in the, in the high ether of what is sure. considered that part of the of the globe. And, uh, and I was whining to God and just said, you know, what do I say to a United States senator? And I felt like he said to me, not not a, a voice per se, but a, but a thought that if you speak to the king of the universe in the morning, it's not so hard to speak to the United States Senator in the afternoon. And I shared that with him. Mm-hmm. And what what the senator needed was somebody to walk with him. And and this he knew a lot about politics, but nothing about Africa. Mm-hmm. And my friend 
knew nothing about politics <laughs> and a fair amount about Africa. Yeah. And so that's what he brought to the table. And so I just kept having coffees and lunches with him and asking after him, as they say in some parts of our country. I just, yeah. I just said, so how's that going? What's up? Without yeah. prying, because it's a private relationship. Sure. So anyway, that's how we did it. Yeah. And Dick, just on that, you know, a lot of what you, your your time in D.C. and then the, the gentleman you're referring to, it's not something you could put in newsletters and you couldn't put it on, so, you know, today's social media. And no. so, yeah, how did you walk through that, knowing that this is what God had called you to do, but it wasn't something you could necessarily, uh, I don't know, look, f- well, put out there? Yeah. In, in this case, he was part of a missions organization. Yeah. And had to have the conversation or was said anything here. Here's where trust comes into play. One, do you think this is a valuable enterprise to yeah. encourage people in national leadership toward Jesus or in him? Yeah. And and to do what they do without any pictures, without any reference in a newsletter, no national publication. That's very hard for yeah. people in leadership, especially when you're trying to raise a dollar. Yeah. If I can be so blunt. And but I credit the leadership to say, we trust you with this. Hmm. We and it has in in its own way has paid off, uh, maybe not directly to the missions organization, but in that senator's life. So that when he gave his retirement speech on the Senate floor a few weeks ago, he referenced this whole thing. Hmm. He talked about it. See, Hmm. if he talks about it, that's one thing. Yeah. If my friend talks about it, that's an ethical problem. Sure. And so you can go to the congressional record and see that message, that speech about Africa, about Jesus. It's there. Wow. They had to write it down, man. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Dick, it's always a joy to hang out with you. And uh, yeah, just to hear your wisdom and insight and your stories. Um, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here with a new friend of the podcast, Steve Midgley. Steve, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for inviting me to to be on with you. For sure. Steve, um, I've gotten to know you through your book, The Heart of Anger, and um, it's and did uh, some research about you on the, on the internet. For those that are listening in that haven't got to read your book yet and haven't got to read about you on the internet, could you just share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am based in um, in the UK, uh, in Cambridge, where I've been a pastor for some 20 years. Um, and the other angle to my my ministry in life that God has given me is uh, with the work of an organization called Biblical Counseling UK, um, which has really been trying over the last five to 10 years to, to bring some of the resources of the biblical counseling movement, which has really been at its strongest in the United States and to try to bring some of those resources to, to churches and to individual Christians in the UK because uh, it hasn't had much of a prominence over here. Okay. And um, we've been um, we've been very grateful to see God blessing different aspects of our work uh, during during that time. Um, so my my longer term background is as a doctor and uh, working in psychiatry and have um, came out of that many years ago. But um, I, I guess that always leaves you with 
and a, a particular kind of way of thinking about people um, and indeed uh, thinking about ministry. Um, and that's led me into, into this combination of work today. For sure. Biblical counseling, how would you, you mention the bringing that that aspect? What does that look like? Maybe then somebody saying, well, what does what does biblical counseling, how would that differ from a, count, a regular counseling session? Is that a fair question? Yeah, it, it is. It's an absolutely fair question. Um, and it, um, it demands a long answer to do properly. But, but I know we've <laughs> not got time for that. So I'll give you so I'll give you I'll give you the, the shortened version. Sure. Uh, in a sense, it, it, it emerges from the premise that um, if God is God and he is, and if he speaks in order that we might have everything that we know in the scriptures uh, for life and for godliness, then whatever our struggles and puzzles in living life well, right across the gamut, from you know, from just being a good parent, um, or being a good friend to somebody, all the way across to grappling with some of the, the more complex uh, and long-term uh, mental health problems that people experience. God must have things to say to to all of that. Um, there must be wisdom within His Word to help us um, in all of life's struggles and difficulties. And and biblical counselling, in a sense, is saying. Um, let's try and work out how to bring all of the riches uh, of the scriptures to bear upon the realities of of, of life in, in its hardness and difficulties. Yeah. So you can see that we're saying that's quite a broad thing. Sure. Um, it's not just over at this kind of specialist end um, of, of a kind of a, a counselling that might look like the kind of counselling you might get in a secular setting. Okay. Um, though there would be some concentration on that, it would it would span all the way across to just the way in which we chat with somebody um, in our in our church family, in our fellowship group. Yeah. Um, in order that, that our conversation is in in a sort of Ephesians four twenty five, I think it is terms. It's every word we say um, is is for the building up of another. Um, you know, it, it, so it's so it's it's actually a very broad thing. Um, the, the kind of the biblical counseling movement and approach. Hmm. That's good. Good. Well, we're going to talk today about the heart of anger. Um, and you you share that, that anger is a strange, powerful, confusing, multifaceted phenomenon. Um, could you could you share what you meant by that? Yeah, I, I think it's um, inevitably and, and not unreasonably when we when we think about our experience of anger, um, either coming at us or coming out of us, we we tend to think about the uh, you know, the, the, the classic sort of angry red face, steam coming out of ears, bulging neck veins, kind of um, moment of, of of sort of fury um, that, that we experience. And of course, that is an expression of anger and can be a phenomenally damaging. Um, uh, it, sort of experience but that is only one manifestation of anger um, and when we stop and think about it we realize that anger manifests itself in just so many different ways um, from the, the long-term bitterness that is that is cross with somebody um, and resentful of somebody over over months or years 
um, that the grumbling and irritation, um, the, the grumbling in the wilderness, which turned out to be so very serious for the uh, for the people of God as they made their way to the promised land, yeah, that too is a form of anger. It's 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 saying that things aren't as they should be, but it's just much lower grade and uh, and sort of uh, another grumbling sort, um, and envy and jealousy would be another form of anger. I, you've got something that I want, and, I, and I'm cross that you've got it and I haven't. Um, uh, so anger, actually, when you, when you stop and think about it, can be really hot or it can be very cold. It can be very brief and intense or it can be uh, really long term. Hmm. And um, we, it's, it's, it's much more of a part of uh, so the idea, you know, for me, I'm not, I don't have the professional background that you do, but when I look at the world, I, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is I just, it seems like to me that people seem angrier today than, than, than I remember. Is that just my confirmation bias or is this idea of the, the heart of anger? Is it becoming more prominent? And you, you share, you just eloquently shared about the complexities of it. Um, any thoughts on that as far as society and anger? And obviously, and I'm American coming from an American perspective. Um, but it just seems like oh, Aaron, you're, you're you're taking us into all sorts of interesting territory. Um, <laughs> and uh, I I think that the um, I I I think the particular social phenomenon um, that that we are experiencing. In, in regard to this, that, that is that is worth highlighting, and lots of people, uh, this is not original to me, uh, lots of people have observed this, is, is the way in which um, social media, um, uh, our interactions on, on the internet, does produce this echo chamber hmm. of the capacity to, 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 to feed into and be fed by um, like-minded people. Okay. Um, so I can find my way into a community, um, and the algorithms on our on our devices are designed to connect us uh, with um, with websites and with chat rooms and all the rest of of people who are thinking the things that we are thinking. Yeah. Um, and and what that does is reinforce our perspective. And it, it also um, ensures that we barely at all interact with other points of view, okay. except to caricature them and ridicule them. Hmm. Um, and so the sense that I am in a community of people who are right, yeah. and that there is another community of people out there who are wrong, yeah. and I am righteously marvelous, hmm. um, and they are um, abhorrently ludicrous, it just gets intensified. Yeah. Um, and that's rather different to our previous experiences of engagement with media, where we would have been much more um, exposed much more to, to a broader view of perspectives, hmm. um, which just creates uh, a rather more uh, balanced um, um, uh, uh, perception uh, of reality. So I, so I think that is a phenomenon, and, and lots of people are writing about that. Um, Douglas Murray's book, uh, it's not a Christian book, um, but Douglas Murray's book, The Madness of Crowds, um, hmm. if I'm remembering those things right, I think I am, um, 
is a is a particularly kind of um, well articulated examination of that. Yeah, for sure. And so, how you share that um, you know that control lies at the root of anger. Um, could you? And so, does that would that tie into the social media and wanting to control the world I live in? And do you have some examples of what that looks like? And what do you, what do you actually? Yeah, what do you mean by it? It's the root of anger, and maybe some examples of that. Is that is that possible? Yeah, um, it, the, the the idea that we come to in in the book is is exploring the the kind of the sin beneath all sins, hmm. which in in a Genesis um, Genesis three kind of picture is the point at which the the serpent is luring Eve, okay, into taking the fruit on the basis that uh, it will make her like God, okay. Um, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent says to her, and it, it turns out that that is not entirely um, um, inaccurate, because um, when when God then confronts Adam and Eve over their anger and pronounces judgment upon them um, in chapter three and verse twenty-two, um, the Lord God said. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So there is something in that. It, it, you know, the, the devil was not entirely, you know, it wasn't, wasn't entirely lying about yeah. something going on there. And, and I think the way to understand that is that the, the something in the heart of sin is, is, is our desire to usurp God's place. To, mm. to 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 refuse to have him rule over us and therefore um assert our, our own um mad kind of uh, occupation of his throne uh, as if we should be god and the world should organize itself around us um and so it, it's easy to see how if that is something to do with with sin that self-centeredness um that um eclipsing of god as the one ruling over me then control imagining that the the world should bend to my will um it's very easy to see how that could be a part of that or that indeed is a part of that um sure. and that then leads to saying well what does anger look like? Anger looks like the frustration of discovering that the world doesn't bend to my control because I'm not mm. God. Mm. And um, getting getting cross and frustrated at the at my inability, or more specifically, um, at other people's refusal to um, uh, to submit. To, 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 to my commands, my expectations, my desires. Um, so that, that, that's the idea at the heart of the book. I've just described it sort of briefly, but I, yeah. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure it does. Before, sure it does. Um, and so like the focus of, you know, I asked the, the question earlier about, it just seems like everybody is angry. Uh, from why people are angry to what they're angry, what they're angry about. How, how does that impact the discussion? 
Um, well, actually, um, I, I realise now you you asked me two questions before. Um, so, and I realised I didn't ask the other one. You you asked for some examples of that yeah. um, of, of anger, didn't you, in relation to control? Sure. So let me just let me just let me leap back because rather than just speaking theoretically, let me just. Uh, I mean, a, um, a a very vivid example of that, and a pretty uncomfortable one, um, is the kind of uh, anger and abuse that takes place uh, within a marriage, uh, particularly um, when a man is being coercive and controlling over his wife. Okay. Um, where he has this notion. That, that his wife should um, should fulfil all of his desires, should uh, be entirely subservient, um, and where he wants her to to live entirely under his control and refuses uh, to give her the love and respect and honour. Um, so, in other words, she becomes to him a an, an object that serves him uh, rather than. Uh, a child of the living God uh, to be to be loved and honoured um, in the way that um, in the way that God sets out for us as um, as the pattern for marriage, and that picture of coercive control um, of a of a of a man in a domestic abuse situation is is a particularly vivid example, um, and there's lots of anger there uh, when. Um, when a man feels as though um, his his demands are not being met, and it's yeah. ugly and it's deeply, deeply damaging. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate I appreciate that example. What what does anger look like maybe in a family between parents and children? Is there an example of what that would look like? Um, yeah, we 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 threw in a, a chapter um, in the book all about that, um, okay. and it um, because I think it is. So I, so there's an interesting one. So to track back to the issue of control there, and of course that there is much more of a, an appropriate sense that parents should, um, and indeed um, do. Um, yeah, no, they, they they should exert control over their children to keep them safe. Sure. Um, and when our children are young, um, the the control that we exert over them is huge. Hmm. Um, and to fail to to control them um, in situations where safety is is paramount um, would itself be a kind of a you know a, a kind of a, a safeguarding issue. So um, there is an appropriate use of control, okay. um, but it's easy to imagine how that can tip. You know, particularly you think of a child moving up through their teens, hmm. um, and in that period of progression through their teens, what, what what are you wanting? Well, you're wanting your child to, to begin to develop self control, yeah. to to begin to develop their own um, uh, use of boundaries. Um, management of their of their time and their resources and their money, how to live life well without needing you as their parent um, to be putting all these boundaries in place for them. Sure. Um, but that's a but that's a very subtle process, um, and 
any of us, and I certainly include myself in this, who have um, parented their children through teenage years know how easy it is to get that balance entirely wrong. Yeah. Um, and usually we get it wrong. Um, well, usually many of us will have got it wrong by being over controlling for too long um, okay. and not not being willing to pass over responsibility to our children um, and allow them and, and, and trust them to begin to learn good judgments. And if we don't do that, then um, they're heading into real trouble because the, the point is going to come when they're not going to be yeah. um, under our supervision. Um, and so the, the skill of managing themselves, controlling themselves rather than being controlled by, by a parent is, yeah. is absolutely crucial. So that, that would be one example. Um, okay. Aaron, you need to interrupt me because I can just keep going on no, this no, forever. No, no. Um, why don't you give us one more? I'll give you one more, which is the um, – so, so to track back younger then, come out of the teenage years and move back into, into a sort of a younger phase of life. Um, and think about one of the things that goes on there, I think, um, is that my, the behavior of my children gets very tied up with my own sense of worth and identity. Okay. In other words, if, if in a playground somebody else's child is behaving very badly, then I may see that that is wrong. Yeah. And I might even, if there was no other parent around, I might even step in and try and do something about it. Sure. But if it's my child that's doing that, it's very different. Hmm. It's very different because it, it somehow speaks to um, this. It's a, there's a sort of a shame that my child is hmm. doing this. Um, and so the danger then that my response is um, inappropriately vigorous. Okay. Um, because I'm, I'm not just trying to ensure that that the right is done i'm trying to, i'm doing it for myself okay I'm, i haven't just got got my child or indeed justice in mind but my own reputation uh, my own sense of 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 how good a parent i am is sort of is, is in a very complicated way muddled up hmm. with what's happening in that moment yeah um and uh, and then as i respond in a way that is is not primarily loving and caring for the child, but is also loving myself. Does that make sense? No, it makes makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. And I was asking you. I said I was going to ask you only for a, one more example, but it made me think. We've done teenage years. Um, you've gave an example from younger. What about when your your children are now adults? Um, and an example, maybe what anger would look like there, and maybe how that would play out. You're, we're the parent. And um, an example of anger playing out with our, uh, maybe let's say adult children. Um, I guess it will be, um, I think it will tend to be an intensification of the issue in, in teenage years. Okay. A, a refusal to allow our children to be, I mean, okay, let me backtrack. You know, what do we want when our children are now adults? Um, I mean, I, I take it that, that we want to arrive at a place where our relationship with them is less sort of parent-child in the sort of above and below sense right. and more adult-to-adult -adult as, you know, respectful peers, God willing, both as believers. Yes. Um, so so fellow, fellow Christians. Um, and if we, if we don't 
if we don't bring that attitude and we continue to have some sense of imagining that uh, our children ought to be like us and ought to think like us and do stuff like us, um, then that is going to go badly and we're not going to be able to move to that adult-adult relationship. We will go on treating our children as if they somehow need to, to live life exactly the way that we say. Yeah. Um, and some of the some of the most unhappy. I mean, I, okay, here's an example. I remember a, a a young man whose mother would not come to his wedding hmm. because he disapproved of the woman that she was marrying. Hmm. Um, for no for no good reason that they were all of the people in this in this sort of scenario were professing believers okay um uh, and it wasn't as though there was there was any particular problem with this man's choice of his wife yeah um it was just that his mother didn't approve of it yeah um uh, and she wouldn't come yeah and and it, it just an extraordinary expression of uh, of control and a very angry response to it, uh, of saying, you know, you must live life the way that the way that I say life should be lived, down to the detail of the of the choice of your spouse. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Great. Sorry, I had to ask you for another example, but um, it uh, it uh, it I thought it would I would thought it would do it. So, the the, the relationship with power. Um, we talked about control, but between power and anger. Are there any biblical examples you could th- that you would suggest to us, present to us about that the relationship between power and anger? Well, the, the Old Testament provides us with, with with an extraordinary kind of array of um, usually powerful men um, ex- exerting their power um, in abusive ways. Okay. Um, I mean, you, you, so you can think of lots there tucked in there. You think of of Saul um, in his murderous rage towards David um, and, uh, and the way in which he he is threatened. Um, you remember the, remember the episodes, I won't be able to quote you references, sure. but um, when you know, Saul has killed his thousands, David is tens of thousands, and yeah. Saul is, is incensed by the popularity of, of this upstart. Um, okay. And wants to use his power to to, to eclipse him. Um, perhaps even more vivid and more awful um, is um, is the rape of Tamar, okay. um, where um, David's son uh, uses his power um, to put himself in a position where uh, he can um, uh, he can rape Tamar. Uh, it's I mean it, 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 uh, if you want to see a biblical kind of uh, kind of representation of the way in which power is misused um, and the way in which um, a, a vulnerable person um, is taken is taken advantage of and then you know, appallingly damaged hmm. um, by by the, the the abuse of a powerful um, man in this case, um, mm. then that is a uh, that is a chilling yeah. kind of case study to to look at. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, 
So, and the, the, we talked about Tamar and that situation, you know, as I, as I look at that, that seems like a, like a slow nursed anger. They kind of just all of a sudden, you know, then there, there takes action. It took action. So how does slow nursed anger, um, how does that impact the one who is angry? And then, and then how does it impact those that they're angry with? I think, um, I think when you are, so I, th I think, let me use some marriage examples. Um, okay. Where there is long-term anger in a marriage, um, I think it is tremendously corrosive. Um, and often, often it, it, it's, it's very unarticulated. It's, it's, it's not a marriage where, you know, rows are taking place and, and, you know, things are being thrown. It's, it's not, it's, it's, um, it's a very, um, under the radar, um, long-term um dissatisfaction um manifesting itself in crossness with um with 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 your spouse um such that you you are long term unkind um ungenerous um um bitter um and uh, unwilling to collaborate and, and it and it just begins to um, to kind of infect every aspect of, of every interaction within the relationship, so much so that it, that it becomes a bit like the wallpaper. You, you, you just don't notice it, mm. and, and you come to accept it as if, as if this is just the way it has to be because it's been there for so long. And nobody – I mean, I can think of times, sometimes meeting with couples where you've – usually meeting with one of the couple on their own, um, and gradually getting to the point of realizing you know, that they begin to realize, yes, I am angry. And I hadn't even realized it. I hadn't realized that, that anger was a dominating, you know, I thought that, you know, this, we just had a bad relationship. I just thought that they were being unreasonable. Um, and I, it had never, it had never dawned on, but actually they have been angry with their spouse for years. Hmm. Um, and because it's never been explicitly expressed, it could never really be addressed and it yeah. could never be resolved. The gospel is powerful enough to resolve these things. Of course it is. I mean, we, we need to be really convinced of that. Um, God is powerful to, to, to bring change. Grace does that. Um, it, 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 it resolves. Um, it has the capacity to resolve uh, the most deeply entrenched um, of our relational difficulties. Yeah. But you can't do it if you haven't identified it. Hmm. And so somebody that's maybe is they're listening into this and it's something this resonates with them. They realize they maybe they have a slow nursed anger against a spouse, maybe against a, a family member, maybe against a, a leader or something like that. What's what are some of the is there like a first step? They, they've recognized it. And you said that's one of the, the most powerful things is to recognize it's there. It's it's no longer just something like wallpaper that's always there, but they've recognized it. What's the next step, Steve? What what do they do when they realize they've been nursing in anger and it's you know it's destroying them and it's destroying their relationships? What what's a, is there a practical step they can take? 
Um, uh, of course, every situation is different and um, kind of broad sweeping generalizations right. are, are dangerous. Sure. Um, but but you know, um, but they're not inappropriate. Um, and so I'll give you I'll give you the two that the two that come to my mind um, are I think first to to take that to the Lord. Okay. Um, you know, before you try and take it to anybody else, um, to to do business with the Lord over that issue. Okay. Um, because God has plenty to say to us. Hmm. um about our anger hmm. um and um much of it is in a, in a romans 12 sense you know um vengeance is mine yeah you know set anger aside um uh, that that unwillingness to forgive of of the unforgiving servant um uh that, that we see in uh in matthew 18 yeah. um the the recognition that where you know where do, where does my anger come from? It comes from my desires, um, in a James four sense. Um, there are lots of warnings there about the the, the dangerous underpinning of my anger, um, and none of this is to say that there might not be legitimate reasons to be angry. Okay. Um, you know we haven't we haven't sort of we haven't touched on that, and it's and it's really important to say. Um, Anger is not. Anger is not evil. Mm -hmm. God is angry with sin, um, and so that, that anger is a, is a right response to something that is um, that is evil, um, and God is rightly angry, and we are capable uh, of of righteous anger. But in reality, um, our anger is usually a, a, a very muddy and muddled mess um, of things that it's appropriate to be angry about and yeah. stuff that is that is tied up with our own sinful responses. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've gone off on a little lay-by. Let me come back no, no, onto no. the main path again um, and say, so I think to bring it to the Lord yeah. um, and to say to him, um, help me yeah. because I see that I am angry. Um, and I want to know what you would have me do with this. Yeah. Uh, I want you to teach me um, how to respond in a way that would be pleasing to you and honouring you, um, and that seeks uh, your will for this situation and not yeah. mine. Yeah. Um, and to wrestle with the Lord over that. Um, that would be the first thing. I think okay. the second thing would be to... Um, Assuming this is a long-term entrenched thing, and, 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 and this is the one I'm, I'm sort of more cautious of because it will vary from circumstance to circumstance, but it, it may be trying to find a trusted friend who will help you think that through Okay. Um, before you then try and work out how you're going to take it to the person that you're angry with. Okay. Um, now, I, I, I'm being careful there because I, I want to, you know, there needs to be a right respect for right. sort of you know for for privacy and um and, and working out what needs to be said to others but but often somebody else helping us to think through what's going on in our heart is needed before we then try and tackle the hard thing which is to engage with um the person with whom we're angry yeah. so that we can do it in a way that is constructive and doesn't just end up sort of um uh, adding fuel to the fire
No, it's good. Well, and somebody that can help us see our blind spots because I know that would precisely. There's been definitely times that I've been self-righteous in my anger and um, you need a friend. I, I need a, I need a spouse, my, my spouse or a friend or somebody or, or family member that can help me see some of my self-righteousness in it. Um, somebody that's willing to tell me the truth in love. Um, somebody that's helped so that as you shared, when I go into a situation, I'm not coming from it in a, of a place of self-righteousness, but recognizing yeah. some blind spots that I have. Um, walking into it, so I think it's uh, yeah. I really appreciate that, Steve. I think yeah, no, that's a, that's a very that's a yeah, that's a really valuable thing to say, and I'm really glad you've added that. Um, Ed Welsh, I think in in one of his in some of his writing about this, um, says yeah, I think he describes it as the madness of anger. Yeah, um, and makes the reference that you know generally the last person to know that they're angry is the angry person. Hmm. Um, everyone else can see that they're angry, yeah. um, but they can't see it. Generally, they think they're they they just think they're right. Yeah, uh, I had a pastor come visit my pastor, the, Mark Lehman, who I consider my spiritual father. He came to visit us in Burkina Faso, and uh, I remember he we sat down and he was having a discussion with me about being bitter and angry, and um and and I said, yeah, um, you know, I'm. Um, I'm concerned about that, but I'm not there yet. And he said, well, maybe we should talk a little bit more about bitterness and angry. So he said, I think you're, you're probably there. Um, but you know, I couldn't see it in myself and I needed, yeah. so I needed somebody that I trusted somebody that was, you know, cause it would have been easy for him just to skim over the conversation and not, but as you said, I thought, yeah, you know, I thought, well, you know, it's there, but I'm not there yet. But he had been around me for a few days and he had heard me talk. He had saw the way I acted and the things that were coming out of me. And, um, you know, he was, he was, he was willing to say, no, I think you're there and we need to take this to the Lord together. And um, it was a turning point. It was a turning point in my life um, when when I was when I was definitely struggling struggling in that. And way. the and the two and the the two things tucked in there that is so important is that both your uh, your your clear conviction that this is a man who loves you, yeah, and a man that you trust, yeah, and and that that combination um, makes it possible for him to speak into your life in that yeah. way. Um, and you know that that that's what we should be aspiring to in our yeah in our relationships yeah. with one another. And he, he had nothing to benefit. You know, I mean, you know, it was no, you know, I mean, he, it would, like I said, it'd been easier for him to skim it over. But like you said, there was a love there for me and a value for me that he was willing to speak the truth in, in, in a respectful way. And, but also taking it to Lord and praying and not just pointing it out, um, but willing, being willing to take it to the Lord together. And um, to partner with me um, for God to do a work in my heart. And um, yeah, just that. That I think the thing is, Steve, is many of the people that live listening to this podcast um, are living overseas. And we've talked about power. We've talked about control. Um, a lot of these different things when it comes to anger. And a lot of times, I, you know, I, I didn't notice anger in my life before I moved overseas. But when you move overseas and you're living in a different culture, all those different dynamics – a lot of these things, it can, it can bring anger out of you. You know what I mean? Things that you didn't know were there. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting dynamic. And, um, I think when things are out of control, um, I've just seen over my 22 years living overseas, people will be surprised about how angry they've become, 
um, because of, of things in their life. Maybe they haven't dealt with in the past or just the situation they're in that, that power dynamic, there's a control dynamic and um, just trying to grapple onto it. And that frustration um, ends up at this place of place of anger. So I want to ask you uh, a question. Uh, one of the things I highlighted and came back to in the book was anger and leadership. Um, you mentioned that one leadership trainer mentioned that you had heard mentioned that rather than an occupational hazard, it was a qualification for leadership. Um, what does that what does that look like? And for spiritual leadership, would you? Yeah, could you just talk about anger and leadership? Because we see it, we do see it more. Um, in the media today, you know, I remember when I was a younger kid, a pastor or someone in the church might be asked to step down because of of a, uh, an affair or addiction to something. But this idea of anger, I've seen it more in the last 10 years, I think, than I've seen it in my lifetime, where a pastor or a church leader has been asked to step down because of anger um, in their leadership. Is Could you speak to that a little bit for us? Yeah, I, um, again, it's a, a huge topic that um, I'll touch on inadequately um i i think in all sorts of ways as you say recent years have highlighted that we have been tolerating um the misuse of power um by leaders um within christian circles in a big way um and i think it is tied up with this idea that um if you're in leadership, somehow you, you you've got some sort of a free pass um, to um, to control other people and to be angry with people when they when when they refuse to be controlled by you. Yeah. Um, and our um, our secular world does present to us, um, and I think the Christian Church, to its shame, has kind of absorbed it. It is is, is some sort of a notion that there is something. Uh, laudable about mm. the um, about the angry leader who um, is is bold enough or brave enough um, to to throw their weight around as as if somehow that is um, that is an acceptable way to lead. Yeah. Um, which which I think is is what that is what that sort of secular leadership um, trainer was saying. I mean, it's just wrong. I mean, it's wrong because we, you know, we see the way in which the Lord Jesus leads. Yeah. And it's not without anger. Sure. Um, but it's, uh, but it's, but it's an anger that is, that is shaped and controlled by love, um, not by uh, the desire to rule over others yeah. um, or to dominate others um, uh, to his own advantage. And so much of the uh, the angerness that we see in in human leadership is all about self interest. Yeah, that's good. And um, and some you know sometimes angry people get stuff done, and it's, it doesn't mean getting stuff yes. done. It doesn't mean it uh, is right. You know, I mean, my my dad, <laughs> my dad. I remember him saying, you know, it's never. If you're rude, it's never right, you know. What I mean, and to be unkind and, and angry is is never it's never right, you know. In in the sense that you're hurting, trampling on people, um, just so you can get done what you want to get done or to get your way. Um, and so it's uh, yeah. He, my dad's a he had, had some quotable quotes, and that was that's that's one of them. Steve, I got, yeah, I got one more one more question for you, and then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Um, 
The idea, I, I've noticed myself when I'm around people that are angry, it's almost like it's infectious. Um, and so they're angry. I'm around them. I get angry and begin to take up their anger. Um, is um, is that common? And and what ways can we? It's a. I know it's a long. It's a long question. But just some some thoughts on for around people that are angry. Is it almost like it's infectious? And how can we guard from picking up other people's anger and carrying it with us and and having that exponentially growing in our lives? I, I think I think it is a it is a phenomenon. Um, and if you, it, it relates to one of the things we talked about earlier on yeah. about the social media and the echo chamber. Sure. That is that is a way that a crowd, you know, it's a virtual crowd, but yeah. um, it's still a crowd, um, captures um, our attention and causes us um, to become angrier than we would otherwise be. I mean, mob violence. Yeah. Um, in a physical sense, when you actually have got people together, the capacity for a mob to do things um, because they're a, because they're part of a crowd that they would never dream of doing um, mm. if they were on their own yeah. um, is is well recognised. Yeah. Um, in biblical terms, you could think about um, the, the mob in Ephesus um, and and the, the riot that happened there in Acts chapter nineteen. Yeah, um, when outrage kind of bubbles up um, and spills over into into violence and the and the attempt uh, to try and um, and, and lynch uh, um, uh, the apostle Paul and his companions in in that kind of setting um, it it is definitely something for us to be alert to um, okay. and it and it is tied in with with one of the things you mentioned earlier on that sense of self-righteousness Hmm. Um, the, the, the overconfidence that we are, uh, we are the, we are the righteous ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, Steve, I, I, I do see it on like in media, but I also know that those that like in my personal lives, personal life, one-on-one, you know I mean? Just with, if I'm at, uh, with a, a group of four or five people, and they're they're angry about something. It almost stirs it up um, even more in me. And uh, and and when people are hurt, you know, uh, hurt and angry, sometimes I can find myself picking up those hurts and picking up that anger, anger and carrying it. Um, at the same time, if I pick up everybody's hurts and angers, uh, ang- angriness, uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, it's hard to have the love of Jesus Christ in me. I guess is that's what I'm trying to say, and it's hard to have him in focus when I'm carrying. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does, and I think it, it it's it's tied in with who who do we think um, we look to to deliver justice? Okay, uh, you know, is is it that's good? If, if finally it it all rests upon us. That's good, Steve. Then um, again, it comes back to, to the issue of control. Um, you know that that I you know I have to deliver yeah. um, justice. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that we're not concerned for justice. Sure, but it's a different thing when I consider that yes, I, I will pursue justice, but I will do so under the authority of of the Lord God, yeah. who finally is the just one, yeah. um, who will work all things out. 
Yeah. I never thought about it that way. And um, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and that's why I love interviewing people that are smarter than me. Uh, so Steve, it is, it's been an honor to have you on the podcast today. We'll put links um, to your book and the show notes and that way people can, um, get access to your book. Will you pray for us today? Will you pray for those that are listening in? Maybe they're struggling with anger. Maybe they, they're living with someone that's struggling with anger. Uh, maybe they're living in a country that that anger is more common. Will you just pray for us today? Yeah, I don't know. Be, be glad to. Be glad to. Um, uh, our gracious God, um, you, you have made us uh, in your image. Uh, you've made us uh, to be the people to be people who uh, who feel um, who have an emotional world that responds uh, to situations around us, uh, and uh, when we uh, when we find ourselves uh, in situations of, of conflict or we see um, harm being done, uh, there is a, there is an appropriate um, uh, sense of injustice uh, that um, that at its best. Uh, stirs us uh, to to act action um, and to compassionate care, uh, but look, God, so much of the time um, it, it isn't a care of others um, that is stirring our anger, but a um, but a preoccupation with ourselves, uh, with our uh, our own desires, um, uh, and we pray, Father, therefore, that you would uh, have mercy on us uh, by helping us. Uh, to to identify the presence of ungodly anger in our lives, and to uh, to understand uh, the the uh, the roots of these things, um, and then by bringing them to you, uh, to grow in in godliness and compassion and love. Uh, please help us with these things so that uh, we might uh, commend the cause of Christ and honour you. Um, uh, even in even in some of the hardest and most difficult uh, relational situations we find ourselves in, help us to be distinctive and different um, because uh, of the way in which you have loved us, uh, and because of the way that your anger has been turned aside uh, by Christ's 